run for fun for me. Come over, you run for fun for me. Hey everyone, how you doing tonight? Uh, welcome to another episode of Barrera's Bucket. My name is Mike Barrera and I'll be your host tonight. If you've been watching the first few episodes of our show so far, you've seen a three-part conference preview breakdown where I basically pulled a cliff notes for you and kind of just give you a rundown of teams to look out for, players to watch, and, and you know things to pay attention to entering the 2021-2022 college basketball season that starts on November 9th. So we are about 20 some days away, which I'm very excited about. Uh, tonight, you know, we're going to pass off the conference previews and now focus on one team in particular. We're going to do the Pittsburgh Panthers basketball team tonight. And I'm fortunate to, to be joined by Tristan Freeman from Busting Brackets. So I'm very excited to talk to him about the players, uh, Coach Capel, and what to expect uh, from Pittsburgh moving on. Uh, like I said, in about 20 days or so, the season tips off. Now, typically, I do the sponsors at the end, but I don't want to interrupt Tristan and everything that he has to say. So I'm going to get the sponsors over with right now, and then we'll get right into the conversation. I'll bring him on in one second. So first off, we have uh, Manscaped. Get 20% off and plus free shipping with code AATBirds and Manscaped.com. Next, we have OddsJam, the number one software platform from Sportsbook Bandits. They use an arbitrage calculator, so you never lose a bet again. That's risk-free betting. Again, OddsJam.com right there via AATBirds. Next up, check, uh, you can check out Statement Games, one of the coolest and new, uh, most new ways to bet fantasy sports entertainment. You can win gift cards and prizes. It's completely free to sign up. I joined, like I said, zero charge. It's a pretty cool way to, to expand your horizon when it comes to uh, sports betting. One of our newest sponsors we have is Lotterrain Watches. Lotterrain.com. Use AAT Birds for 10% off at checkout. Uh, it's a, a brand new selection of watches you can check out. You know, like Christmas is right around the corner. So please go right ahead and, and shop 10% off with AAT Birds at the checkout. And last but not least, we have the AATSportsNetwork.com shop. Well, one of the shirts actually right here from our AAT Birds uh, side of things is a, a nice, pretty cool Eagles logo there. And then we have Barrera's Bucket Gear as well as my other show, Across the Pitch. Uh, Burning Bridges, our Tuesday night show that comes on after after my recording, and then Chips and Dish and every other thing you can possibly imagine. So check out the, the shop. You got hoodies, T-shirts, uh, decals, cups, mugs, the whole nine. It makes a great gift uh, and or just something for yourself if you feel like spoiling yourself one day. Uh, but without further ado, I'm going to bring Tristan on to the show right now. And again, like I said, we're going to talk some Pittsburgh Panthers basketball. So let me bring him on to the stream. Hey, Tristan, how you doing tonight? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh yeah, it's first of all, it, it's it's such an honor to finally talk to you, and I've been a big fan of your your website, uh, fan side, and busting brackets all summer long, and even towards the end of last year. So I'm really excited to to hear what you have to say. Um, so you know, again, thank you so much for joining me. Um, so first and foremost, you joined the site in 2017, so now you've been about four years with busting brackets. For me personally, it's one of my go-tos now for college basketball and just sports in general. You have a lot of great writers, a lot of great content. 
could you share to some of the fans who don't know you or know, know your site what Busting Brackets and Fanside is all about? Yeah, uh, Fanside it is is one of the biggest uh, networks of blogs encompassing all the sports, football, basketball, soccer, baseball, you name it. And there's very there's a bunch of different uh, team specific sites, and there's also uh, sports specific sites. So for Busting Brackets, we're college basketballs. A website that co- that covers everything, all 32 conferences, all 358 teams. Uh, t- pretty much every day we have something different coming up. In college basketball, you have all these, not only just games, but transfers, recruiting. And we do our best to just cover them, not only myself, but dozens of other quality writers on a daily basis. We try to have uh, three to four new articles that could be a very different topics. We try not to cover just Duke and Kentucky and normal blue bloods will, you know, throw in mid majors as well there. So we try to be as diverse as possible and have different ideas and different viewpoints that isn't just about the mainstream that you could get anywhere else. Yeah. I think you summed it up perfectly there. And, and from just, I have you guys on uh, notifications for Twitter. So, I mean, throughout the day, it's, you know, ACC, and then it goes to the horizon, and it goes, hey, focus on Georgetown and the players to watch in the MAC, and it covers, like you said, the entire landscape of college basketball, which uh, I think is great. You know, you watch ESPN or some of the major networks; they only focus on set teams. And if you really want to enjoy the sport as a whole, you have to go to the other conferences and see all the great players that that they have to offer. So I agree; it's it's a great place to check out if you guys haven't already. It's busting brackets again, and on fan side, it's a, it's a great website, but. Transition now to a team that you've personally been covering recently, the Pittsburgh Panthers. Uh, I know that you did a couple of media sessions with them so far over the summer. Can you talk about your experiences that you, you know, having that, that access to the, to the team? Yes. So I, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. So the Panthers were always a, a fan favorite of mine. I, when I really got into college basketball, it was around 2008 or so. Mm-hmm. That was when Pittsburgh was one of the best teams in the country. It's part of the, Old Big East that was, I would argue, was the best conference in college basketball during that time. So really got to enjoy the Pittsburgh Panthers at its heights. And I've been following college basketball the decades since through the ups and downs ever since we transitioned to the ACC. So the opportunity to be able to cover them up close and personal for the first time ever, it's been a great opportunity for me. And I've enjoyed the the things I've got to see so far, such as the first team practice that's been open to media for a few years for the first time in the Jeff Capeway era. Got a chance to see a team scrimmage to see which players were to stand out. So it's been awesome to see things up close with your own eyes instead of just reading it off of other people's articles. Right. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to do media work for the MLS uh, soccer team, the Union. And having that up-close personal experience with the players and the coaches and see how things work behind the scenes is just a really unique experience. Um, now, with soccer, it's obviously outdoors. There's a little bit more freedom with the, with the COVID restrictions. Just, you know, if you could kind of give us an inside scoop, how was it inside of a gym uh, with, with all the COVID protocols and restrictions going on right now? Yeah, so, so far, the, the only thing that we've had to do is just have mask indoors. That's, that's pretty much it, but that's something that we all should be used to by this time. <laughs> it, 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 you didn't feel it. When, there, when the scrimmage happened, when there were fans, you could hear people. And you've seen it in the football games, basketball games. I don't think mask is going to be that big a detriment when it comes to people being able to enjoy the sport. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. And, and really the most important thing that we can kind of enjoy again is the atmosphere. Whether you're wearing a mask or no mask, you just want to feel the energy again inside of a stadium or an arena or wherever you go. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I think by now we're all used to wearing a mask 24-7 really, especially if you're if you're not working from home. Uh, but Pittsburgh last season, you know, they they ended the year about 6-10 and 10 in conference play and 10-12 and 12 overall. You know, I for my show in particular, we do a little bit of gambling. So from a gambling side of things, they actually did pretty decent overall, 2-0-1 versus ranked opponents. You, as an underdog, you guys did pretty well uh, against your opponents as well. Um, but in terms of the, the regular basketball side of things, you started the year fairly strong. You were 8-2 and two to start the season. But again, I mentioned the end result a few seconds ago. What happened? What When was the start of the downfall for Pittsburgh last year? Yeah, I mean, you can make an argument that the opening loss uh, of the season, which was to, I believe it was either Nickel State or someone else, that that kind of showed that this team had a lot of growing to do when it comes to maturity. From a talent standpoint, you had arguably the best trio in the ACC in Justin Champagne, Audis, Tony, and Xavier Johnson. But when you consider the lack of depth behind them, especially in the front court, and then when you have, you know, the murmurs that the locker room was in trouble, that there was just a lack of leadership, a lack of cohesion, you showed that when Pitt wanted to play against Duke and Virginia Tech, they were capable of beating them. But then just a few days later, they'll just not show up against Wake Forest and Boston College, get blown out by Notre Dame, derailing any chance they had of being on the bubble. It, it, it showed that there was more issues off the floor than on the floor. And considering that the few years prior that the issues were all on the floor with a lack of talent, it, it, it was disappointing that things that were in their control, they just couldn't come together and have a more productive season that should have ended up at least in the NIT. Right. And um, and I'll kind of segue off of the kind of the off the court issues there with my next point here. So Jeff Capel, you know, he's entering his fourth, I believe his fourth year now with Pittsburgh, you know, He's, he's on the hot seat, to say the least. There's some negatives that have been said about him regarding keeping players on staff. I know you mentioned earlier Tony, Champagny, Xavier Johnson. They are no longer with the program. Uh, on the bright side of things, I know he has the four-star commit, uh, Judah Mintz, coming in in the 2022 season. Now that you've had a, another offseason to kind of think about Capel's job, wh- how would you grade his performance last year and where do you think he can improve entering this upcoming season with both as a coach and, you know, as a leader of these, these players? Yeah. So it's, it's when, whenever you're talking about Jeff Capel, you have to mention the fact that he inherited a really next to nothing roster that in, in Pittsburgh, you go, Oh, and 18, you lose several, several transfers and the class that started with Xavier Johns and all these Tony, it was supposed to be the, the the foundation to rebuild back up. And you, you, you he gets credit when it comes to development because Champagne was was an absolute was a borderline all American. Uh you have three star guys that turn into really solid pieces. There's 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 signs there that he can be that guy to lead Pitt back to a postseason caliber. But at the same time, the locker room issues is all partly is partly him. He's the coach. He's He's the guy in charge, so that has to be on him as well. I, I think if I had to grade it, I would say, you know, might be fair C minus because you're hoping to be better than six and fourteen in ACC play and get out of that bottom tier. And they should have been out of that bottom tier last year, but things just derailed in a hurry. And 
He's entering year four. He had a five-year deal. Uh, I don't see him getting fired after this year unless Pitt just absolutely tanks and Judah Mintz decommits. I think it will be hard for the the administration to want to make that move unless they know exactly who the replacement is. Right. I think you give him year five, assuming Pitt finishes around 13, 14, or even 15, but there is hope and promise with some of the underclassmen. He'll get that fifth year, which will be year two when it comes to having his entire roster that all guys that committed to him and not the Kevin Stallings beforehand. But you you, you want to see signs that this program's not only moving forward, but players are wanting to stay longer than one or two years before transferring out. That that's key, and I think he knows that himself because one of the big. Uh, storylines from the media availability was everyone talking about cohesion and the chemistry and coming together. That was something big that the players were talking about that, you know, even if we're not as talented, that there's definitely a, a chemistry there that wasn't there in the past that you could put on the feet of the top players who weren't leaders. Right. And you mentioned towards, you know, finishing towards the bottom tier of the conference last year, uh, you did finish above Miami, Wake Forest and, and Boston College. And the Ken Palm rankings came out a couple of days ago. I know everybody's talking about that. Uh, the Ken Palm rank- rankings had you about 145th in the preseason projected to be 12 and 19. Uh, but, you know, with all preseason rankings, there's always some speculation, some argument. Do you think that's a fair assessment now from what you've told me right now? Or, or do you think they should be ranked a little bit higher? Yeah, it's fair when you consider that a big part of the Ken Palm rankings has to do with production from the previous year. So you lose what Champagne did, you lose what Tony and Johnson did. You bring back uh, uh, Nike Sabande, who only played 14 games because he wasn't eligible until middle of the year. Mm -hmm. You you have John Hughley, who was suspended most of last season due to off-the-field issues. He's been cleared. And in the transfers you bring in, Jamari Spurton didn't produce much at Texas Tech because he was playing behind Matt McClung. Then you have uh, Oladapo and Chris Payton, who were JUCO transfers, and one came from Oakland. There's just not a production on paper that would warrant Pitt being around the 100 range. So I do think it's fair. Do I think they'll finish around 150? I'm more optimistic than that. I do think Pitt has some potential to be – top 110, top 100, even if things go well. There are some positive signs when it comes to a defensive identity and some uh, really good transfer and mo guy from Stony Brook who's been a standout so far. But but it, it's hard to say with confidence that they're going to be in the 100 range until you see some guys break out. Yeah, and, and you kind of segued there a bit with, with the potential that these players have, and I'll get right into one of the players you mentioned with John Hughley. So last season, he only played seven games. Uh, you, you mentioned the off-the-court issues. I believe he also missed the game for COVID protocol as well. So you really didn't get a big sample size for him. Uh, but he, he's going to be asked to do a lot uh, throughout the entire season. Is there anything particular with him that you have uh, an eye on or do you expect to, to improve from last year? Yeah, from what I've seen so far, he has a he has a tremendous skill set. He is definitely a top 100 prospect for a reason. He can shoot the ball. He was even taking three pointers in practice in the scrimmage. He's he's he can score pretty much anywhere on the court. Really good hands. His issue is going to be that he's turnover prone. 
when it comes to some sloppy passing, some uh, loose screens, and defensively, he's not in great shape, so he could be got on the defensive end as well. But I think, you know, if I had to project what his numbers would be, I wouldn't be surprised if he averaged 13 and 7 for what would be technically his real freshman campaign. But there's a lot right on him because even Jeff Cafel himself said he hasn't had a front court like this in the past few years. His starting front court last year was uh, Kula Bali and Terrell Brown. And those guys transferred to St. Bonaventure and San Diego, and there's a good chance neither of them are actually going to start. And that was the start of front court that Pitt had last year, unless you want to consider Champagne moving to a small ball four with his rebound and really covering up the issues that Pitt just didn't have in front court. They do this year, and, and then that in itself should make it things easier for them when it comes to scoring. Right. I mean, you mentioned the one transfer to St. Bonaventure. They returned their starting five. So, you know, that they're not going to be uh, mm-hmm. replacing any of those players anytime soon. But in terms of Hughes' production last season, uh, he only went over 20 minutes and twice in those seven games. And I know in the one game, I think um, against Louisville, he had 24 minutes, 7.7 rebounds. So that kind of gives you a small sample size of what he could do. It's just now whether he can kind of continue that over more minutes and a longer stretch throughout the season. But another player you mentioned uh, was Jamarius Burton, who came in from Texas Tech. Uh, he seems to be – I think actually he's hurt right now, isn't he? He's out for six weeks. Yes. A- any progress on that? Yeah, so he, he had a knee, a knee procedure, timetables, four to six weeks. So it, on the best end, and Pitts had decent luck with injury because if you remember, Champagne went out in the middle of last year and it felt like a potential season ender, and he only missed one game. So I, I think – if we take the the split at five weeks, he'll he'll might be in danger of missing the first game against the Citadel and then against West Virginia a few days later. Mm-hmm. But outside of West Virginia, I don't think he'll miss any key games for Pitt, and they're going to need him because he he's come in and he's and everyone mentioned that he's the leader, he's the voice of the team, his bulldog mentality. He's a great defender, a capable combo guard. Pitt absolutely is going to need him to be a, a, an extra facilitator to help out Femi Odakali in the backcourt. Well, yeah, another great segue from you right there. Femi Odakali is a player that, you know, had a, a nice spark towards the end of the year last year, and all eyes are really on him entering this this year's uh, season. So last, last year towards the end of the season, he had nine steals in six games. Four of them came against Clemson. Uh, he had 28 points against Miami, and he shot two from, fr- two from three from three-point range. Now that you've seen him again this offseason and what you saw last year, what are you most excited about uh, with regarding uh, Odakali? Yeah, it, it, for Pitt to do anything this year, they're going to need Odakali to be a 15-point scorer, and I think he's capable of it. He can score anywhere on the court. He's a real fast fast guard. He can drive to the basket with ease, an excellent playmaker. He said himself that he's comfortable with the ball in his hands, so I would not be surprised if he's the starting point guard for Pitt and really the, the key facilitator. The difference between him and Johnson is that he's a much willing passer, and I think he, he's going to be capable of making guys better. Having a front court to pass the ball to is going to be good. But he's someone that I'm not sure if he'll make the giant leap that we all hope, but next year he's definitely going to be a double-digit contributor and a real bright spot for the program because there's a really good chance that he can be a starter for three to four years. 
Yeah, you mentioned him being comfortable with the ball in his hand. If, if I read his statistics correctly, he only had 1.5 turnovers a game, so he doesn't really turn the ball over much from what we saw last season. Um, his free throw percentage could probably use some work, and, and he shot 33% from three. But, you know, it, he like you said, it, all eyes are going to be on him, whether he can kind of take that next step and, and lead the way, especially with uh, with Burton being out for about, you know, the next four and a half, five weeks, hopefully no more than no more than two games. But now as you transition towards, you know, next year and who you lost and who you're bringing into the lineup, uh, one of the, the biggest issues was the transfer portal. So you lose Tony uh, before the season ended, along with uh, Xavier Johnson. And after the season, you mentioned a few players as well, Terrell Brown, Koulibaly and uh, Drumgoul Jr. And then, of course, Justin Champagny. But this year, you have two very exciting transfers come in. The one you mentioned earlier was, I think his name is Guya or Guy, right? Mo Guy? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mo, Mo Guy. Guy. <laughs> so I saw his stats from Stony Brook. He's really promising uh, player uh, on the defensive side in particular. What can you say to someone who doesn't know him or didn't watch Stony Brook last year? Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to see him much at Stony Brook, but what I've seen so far, he he's really – stood out and not only first of all his athleticism is top notch he's a six foot nine 211 pound guy but he he doesn't need much room to jump he he's he can fly everywhere he's a defensive disruptor not only is he blocking shots from everywhere but he 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 gets steals really good defender uh what was interesting was that a lot of the offensive sets that we saw had him shooting threes and he was shooting threes in the Maryland scrimmage. And what's interesting there is I figured that he was going to be a center either to start in front of Hughley or replace him. But the fact that he's comfortable being the power forward is huge for Pitt because it gives them real size. He and Hughley can play together. He can space the floor as well. Pitt hasn't had that in years. And he's going to be someone that I think is going to get 30 minutes because he's such an impactful player on both ends of the court. He's not an elite scorer, but assuming Hughley gets the job done inside at the center position, you're not going to need Guy to go for 15 to 20. I think he's someone that can give you 8 to 12 a game. If he can get hot from three, hit a few, and space the floor would be huge. But his his defensive impact is going to be huge, especially considering that he's not a huge guy, so you don't necessarily want him guarding the Mark Williams or the Malik Williams in the ACC you want him guarding natural power forwards who are a bit smaller. So that works out for Pitt very well. He's been an early positive standout and for all the right reasons. That's awesome. And you, and you talked about uh, him spacing the floor with his three-point shooting. Another player who's going to be asked to, to be improving their three-point shooting is Horton, who's going to be likely coming off the bench. Uh, last year, uh, I think you mentioned your article, uh, and if, please, if people who haven't read it already, please check out Tristan's articles online. They're absolutely phenomenal stuff, but Horton, I think, as you mentioned, was a bit streaky. Can you talk about what you saw from him last year and what should be expected from him entering this season as well? Yeah, I I think part of his game last year was just to stand there and shoot from three whenever Johnson or Champagne didn't want to do it. He was the team's best three-point shooter if you take away Sabande's limited stats. But he's definitely streaky. He can go one of six as he reportedly did against Maryland, but he can also go four or five in the right setup. And I think one of the things with Pitt, assuming Burton gets healthy, is there's not a lot of current production on the bench. So assuming guys starting, assuming Sabande and uh, uh, Old Kale starts as well, and potentially Burton as well if you want to have a combo set up 
Horton's going to be the ideal sixth man for Pitt. His shooting's, his shooting's going to be needed. His offensive spark as well. He's a solid defender too. A very underrated guy for Pitt, the return and leading scorer. There's going to be a lot needed for him on the second team. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to shoot, whether he's starting or as a sixth man. Yeah, last season, looks like he took about five three-pointers a game. Uh, oddly enough, his numbers were actually better away than they were at home. Uh, you know, and, and kind of briefly talking about the home court advantage that teams will have now. Now, I, I don't know how it was in Pittsburgh. But was there any fans in the stands last season at home or no? No, not 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 Pitt. Do you know if there's any sort of uh, seating limitations this season, or is there going to be a full house uh, in the stadium this year? Yes, yeah, everything I heard is just full mask. You just have to you just have to wear a mask when you come in. There's no okay. restrictions. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so hopefully those home numbers for him shooting wise will go up. But yeah, it's just funny. Never see a player have the opposite with the away numbers being better. But like as you mentioned, he if he can be a, a solid bench piece for you guys, that that would be really everything you can ask for from him. Uh, another player you mentioned too was Sabanda, the uh, transfer from Miami, Miami, Ohio, who had a bit of a waiver issue when he when he joined the team. But last year, he shot 17 of 39 from three-point range uh, in, in that small sample that we, we saw from him. Can you talk about the few things you've seen from him so far in this offseason, whether it be at the scrimmage or at the open practice? Yeah, he, he's definitely going to be the bucket getter of the team outside of Odakali. He averaged 15 a game in three years at Miami of Ohio. You saw you, you saw in the sample skies when he got 30 minutes a game, he could score for Pittsburgh. He could be – that go-to guy, that leading guy. He's really good mid-range. Uh, the, the, you're, you're hoping that the three-point shooting towards the end of the year carries over to this season because Pitt's going to need it. He absolutely can not only score in a variety of ways, but he has great size as well, can play multiple positions, and he's going to get a lot of the minutes that with Horton out to start the season. He's going to be huge. If he can be – a 13 to 15 point per game score and be that impactful transfer coming up to coming up from the Mac. It's going to be huge for Pitt and it's going to be huge for Odakale as well, because you don't want him having to do too much as a sophomore. You want the seniors and the leaders to be able to carry the load themselves without having the underclassmen do too much, which could be detrimental. Now, you mentioned his versatility. Is there a particular position that you think Sabande would thrive in the most with this particular group around him? Yeah, I think he's more than capable of being a, 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 a natural wing at the three spot. If you want Burton and Odakale to share the ball handling capabilities, having Sabande being a go-to scorer can allow either one of them to come off the bench or you can put Horton as a natural shooter to spot up whenever Sabande is driving to the basket. And I think it's going to be really beneficial for someone like Hughley having a slasher like Sabande who can create his own offense that can essentially create offense for everyone else. Because you are going to wonder, is Odakale going to be that five, six assist kind of guy or where are the other passing going to come from? I, th- I think that's something that Sabande is capable of doing himself. So he, he can do it all, and I think Pitt's going to want him to do as much as possible to at least start out the year and carry over the positive signs from the end of last year. 
Yeah, one of the pauses from last year, as you mentioned, was, you know, the game against Wake Forest. He had 23 points and nine rebounds. Uh, rebounding, you know, a transition was rebounded to another player that is now the newest addition to your team with Oladapo from Oakland. He had back-to-back games of 18 rebounds as well as a 25-point and 20-rebound game against Robert Moore. So you have two players right there who, who really offer a lot to the rebounding side of the game. Where do you think this team will will rank or do in the ACC in terms of either offensive or defensive rebounding with the players he brought in, including Mo Guy? Yeah, I, I like Pittsburgh's potential on defense. Uh, it, assuming everyone's healthy, they will have a rotation that has no one smaller than 6'4". Wow. And, that, and that's a really good sign. I think Capel's going to want to have an aggressive defense, a lot of size, a lot of athleticism with, with Guy running around the front court. I think Pitt has real good potential to be a top five defensive team. Mm-hmm. My concern is that they'll probably be a top five, well, bottom five offensive team, unless Hughley and Odakali takes massive steps. I think when you look at someone, when you look at someone like Oladapo, he's not going to give you much offensively, especially at the ACC level. He, he, he's going to be that, that solid undersized forward defender with good athlete that can give you rebounds that Pitt's going to need to replace Champagny. You look at Chris Payton, who's a Juco transfer from Indian Hills. He's a six foot seven uh, combo forward to average a double-double. But unless he can space the floor with his shooting, you're not sure where he's going to get you offensively. And Burton, even back at Wichita State, he was only averaging eight points a game. He wasn't a prolific scorer even before going to Texas Tech. So you're going to wonder if the defense can carry them they're going to need to play. I think if they compare them to Florida State in terms of having some good depth, decent size, decent athleticism, but concerns on offense, but Pitt's just a much less talented version of Florida State. Yeah, and you know, when you think of Florida State, you think the size of the defensive prowess. So if, if you're even being compared to Florida State, that's, that's obviously a great company to be in. Uh, and, and when you look at the, con- the contributors on your team, uh, one of the possible players I think you've mentioned in, in one of your pieces was Noah Collier. Uh, conveniently enough, Noah's actually from Jersey like I am, not too far south from me as well. You know, what do you think the, the, the farther down the bench pieces can do? Someone like Collier, for example. Yeah, so I, I think with Mo Guy capable of playing the four spot, that opens things up for Collier to be that backup five man uh, for Hughley. He, he's, he's looked solid defensively. I think the concern is he doesn't provide much offensively, but he 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 can be a solid backup big man for Pitt. Uh, another another person that's gotten a uh, a lot of attention is William Jeffries. He's a six foot seven uh, guard slash forward. He he can he can play the two spot. He can play the four spot. A lot of potential. The team's really high on him. Uh, so far, when I've when we've seen him, he's been very aggressive and looking for a shot. The issue is he hasn't been making a lot of them. Now, obviously, those are short sample sizes that we've seen. He, he He's clearly been given opportunities by the coaching staff to get minutes. And I think they want him to be that guy, to be the starting small forward, if they can slide Simone over to the two spot with Burton out. It's going to be between he, him and the only freshman on the roster, Nate Santos, who is – an absolute sharpshooter has an incredible stroke. He's a three-star freshman prospect, six foot five wing, really good shooter. He may be the best pure shooter on the team, but in order for him to get minutes, he's going to have to consistently hit the three-pointer shot. 
And I think it will be between him and Jeffress for minutes at the three. But there's some legit bench options for Pitt. Just whoever's, whoever can score from that bunch is going to be the guy that gets minutes because that's going to be one of the big storylines for Pitt where they find consistent offensive production from. So I, I guess it would say, be safe to say that whoever has the hot hand in any given matchup will kind of see the floor compared to maybe someone who started the previous game or someone who uh, was more active off the bench in the previous game is what you're saying, like just whoever's hot at the moment? Yeah, I think outside of Hughley, Guy, Sabande, and Odakale, and then once Burton gets back there, everyone else's minutes is going to be fluctuating throughout the throughout the season. There will be guys who will get 20 minutes off the bench because they had a couple of good games. There will be guys who we might not see at all. I think right. there's, there's a good chance that a couple of them, if they don't provide anything offensively, and Pitt's defense is solid, it's just going to be hard for them to see minutes. Now, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, uh, Jeffries and Santos as well. When you look at college basketball as a whole, you know, you always are kind of worrisome about the younger talent on the team, whether they can kind of play the next level. They're still relatively teenagers. And I think you mentioned your piece of Jeffries is one of the youngest players in college basketball as well. You think the uh, spotlight is too big for someone that young or even for Santos kind of coming into this very tough conference to play in? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so because there really aren't ex- expectations for for them or the team. So wh- whether you perform well or not, it's not like you'll be in a national radar compared to freshmen at a Duke or North Carolina. It's just it's just a big opportunity for them, especially considering how prevalent transfers are. You know, you only have a couple of years to prove that you're a rotation piece before you get buried on the bench and end up having to go into the portal. So. For Jeffries, who was the youngest player in college basketball last year, you know, this is this is an important year, too, for him. And I think if Pitt's going to give him a lot of opportunities, he is going to have to show for it. If he can be a, a potential breakout candidate, too, that changes everything for Pitt, not only for this year, but in the future to have your key, your core players, your building blocks, all be underclassmen. So right. I, I think for Pitt fans, we really want to see what – William Jeffries does almost as much as Odakale or Hughley because we, we we assume that those guys are going to be good no matter what. But the huge X factor of this team, I think, is going to be the, the four-star wing in Jeffries. Yeah, I mean, that's I think with a team like Colorado State, for example, I believe they went from sophomores to juniors this upcoming year, if I remember correctly. And it, it is, you're right. You know, you want your core or, the you know, the, the – I guess the best players you have in Rosh to be the younger classmen to work their way up. So that way when they are juniors or seniors, they can compete at a higher level. So I think you're right. All eyes are on not just Odukale or Hughley, but everyone below them in terms of, uh, in terms of age, but in, in terms of a sample size that you saw for Pittsburgh, they did have a, an, an in-team scrimmage, which I believe you attended as well. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? I know specifically you mentioned the 31 three pointers that they attempted uh, with 10 going in. What did you see from them from from long distance or just you know head to head matchups in particular that you that you like to watch? Yeah, so there was a lot of post action uh, for Pitt, which hasn't been seen in years because Pitt hasn't had any threats from the inside. So 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 so, so seeing that was cool. Uh, okay. A lot of three pointers was not was attempted by almost everybody, which is interesting when you consider that not many of them are considered great three point shooters. But the fact that the coaching staff is okay with them and even set having set plays for it, you're going to see a lot of 
a decent amount of three-point attempts for Pitt, which which should be opened up by having a much better front court play. Uh, there was a lot of uh, streakiness, and I, I mentioned in the article that Pitt had four straight three-pointers made in a span of about 45 seconds in the game. Outside of that, they went four twenty-seven. Uh, so you, you, you're you're hoping that it, it's uh, you know you get get out the way early on, but if Pitt isn't shooting threes well in conference play, it's going to be a long season for them. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. And and one of the questions that, that you kind of answered a bit was whether these three point attempts were just poor shot selection or were the coaches kind of pushing the envelope and saying, hey, we're going to run set pieces or set plays so that way we can you know put up more three-point shots. Uh, but I think you answered it there. That they looked like they're, go- they, they're going to be a high-volume three-point shooting team. Do you think that will be to their benefit or their detriment overall just based off this roster? For, for now, I, w- I would say it's going to be to their detriment until they can find people outside of Horton that can consistently hit them. It's going to be the key. I think that might be how Nate Santos ends up being part of the rotation is that he's one of the top pure shooters on the team. You you want to be able to exploit teams that are going to have to de- defend John Hughley inside, that are going to have to deal with Mo Guy when he's operating on the perimeter because he has the athleticism to take the ball to the basket. But in this in in this game, when spacing's huge, if you're not a good three point shooting team, whether you don't take many attempts or you take too many attempts, it ultimately is going to end up to your demise. Yeah, uh, and, and you know when it comes to the, the you know the competition you're going to be facing this upcoming year, uh, I was looking at on Twitter a post from Craig Meyer, who I believe is a Pittsburgh reporter out there who follows the team. He mentioned that they had a, a scrimmage against Maryland, which they lost seventy two to fifty six. The starting lineup there was was kind of what you mentioned earlier, Odukali, Sibande, Jeffries, Guy, and Hughley. Just seeing that from the first scrimmage with another opponent, especially an opponent like Maryland, who's going to be a top 30 team this year, do you think that means that this is the set starting lineup before Burton can, uh, can kind of come back? Or maybe you think Cape will now trust Jeffries more than we may have believed uh, previously? Yeah, so from what I heard, Jeffrey struggled in that game too. So it wasn't necessarily, quite frankly, most of the pit players outside of Hughley and Odakale struggled. So it, the fact that Jeffrey's got the nod over Santos isn't surprising since he's a returning player, but the minutes were pretty much even. So you're, you're going to see their expedition, expedition game against Gannon on November 1st. Probably we'll see Jeffrey start again, but he, he's going to have to put in some consistent performances from the field and, and be a scoring threat. Otherwise, you're going to at least want Santos in there as a as a threat from the wing. But is he good enough defensively or is he up to speed to what the plays are to warrant a lot of minutes? Right. And November 1st, you mentioned, is the next scrimmage, but – only eight days later after that, they, they begin, you know, the college basketball season. Your first matchup is against uh, the Citadel on November, on was it November 9th. And a few days later, you're playing West Virginia. Your non-conference schedule has some pretty solid opponents. You have uh, Minnesota, Monmouth, uh, St. John's, which I know you're a big fan of St. John's in, in the Big East, as am I. From the, from the look of your non-conference schedule, how do you think they're going to do? Do you think there's a, a 500 opportunity here, or do you think maybe they'll do better than expected with their non-conference schedule? 
Yeah, so one of the biggest issues in the Capo era has been that each year they've lost to a sub-200 team, an unexpected upset loss. That that has to end, and you hope that with a more focused team, that should work. Uh, the two top games is West Virginia, natural backyard brawl rival. Uh, interesting for them is that they lost all of their key front court pieces but returned mm-hmm. most of their guards. So from a matchup standpoint, it, it will be interesting to see what Hughley does against them. Uh, with you was hoping that both Champagnes will be back for the St. John's matchup, but Justin Champagne went on to the NBA and Toronto Raptors. So St. John's, who I believe has top 25 potential, and it's essentially a home game for them, that that's, that's going to be a very difficult task to beat them. But then there are two other uh, games against power conference teams, Minnesota, who was picked to finish last in the Big Ten, and then Vanderbilt, who was picked to finish second last in the SEC, both of them are at home. Those are almost must-win games for Pitt and Capel when it comes to having a positive outlook for the program. If you lose one or even both of them, then you're pretty much saying that you're probably going to be the worst power conference team in the country, and it's going to be really hard to – have a positive outlook from the fans and from the media of what ACC play is going to be. Like Pitt, Pitt has a chance. I think there's almost two losses that you can guarantee, maybe one more if you want to split those two, or if you lose to Colgate, who is probably the best of the mid-major bunch of the buy games, so to speak. I, I think any any more than three or four losses in non-conference play and that will be really a tough pill to swallow for fans. Yeah, when you think of Minnesota, you know, you lose Marcus Carr. But, you know, he goes to Texas. And many people are saying Minnesota should be one of the, the bottom teams of the uh, the Big Ten. So I agree with you. I think that's one, especially if it's on your home court. If you want to be a, a middle-of-the-pack ACC team, you have to beat Minnesota at home, mm-hmm. especially with how bad they were away from Minnesota. They were very good at home. Away was a, a pretty ugly sight. And then Vanderbilt. Uh, Scotty Pippen Jr. will be a player that you know will hopefully be. Do you think you guys can contain someone of that caliber when Vanderbilt comes to, to comes to town? I think Pitt has the size to at least bother him and frustrate him. That that's the good thing about having all your guards be at least six four. I think this is the kind of game that Burton could really have an impact on on a defensive end. And really for Vanderbilt, as long as you just slow uh, Pippen down or at least make him highly inefficient, you can absolutely beat Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then, like you mentioned, the other opponents in the uh, in the non-conference schedule, I think, are doable games. Colgate, you know, they gave Arkansas a bit of a scare last year in the NCAA tournament. I know they're, you know, one of the more highly touted mid-major squads as well. So there's a lot to look forward to in, in that in that section right there. But when it comes to your the conference play, the ACC, I, I'd say there's a few teams with question marks. Some people have are skeptical skeptical, excuse me, about Virginia. Um, Florida State loses a couple key pieces. They're, they're a bit younger than usual. And then you have the big names like UNC, Coach K's farewell tour. There's a lot a lot of uh, headlines with the ACC this year. What team in particular, in particular are you most worried about facing? Or what team in particular are you most excited to face based off the roster that you have this year? Yeah, so you're always going to be excited to see Duke, North Carolina, because you want to test yourself against the best. Mm-hmm. Um it's always interesting when you play Syracuse Pitt somehow not only beat Syracuse twice last season, but averaged 90 points in those two wins. Wow. Uh, that was uh, an amazing feat. 
it, I think what it comes down to for Pittsburgh, when it comes to having at least six or more ACC wins, you're going to want to see them beat Wake Forest, Boston College, and the other projected bottom-tier teams such as Georgia Tech and Miami. I think the goal for Jeff Capel is to at least get six and not take a step back in conference play. Uh, you're, to go 7-13, and 13, it's going to be a tough task, but – but but capable if you can get some big some big games from some guys. But the ACC doesn't have anybody that's too formidable. There's weaknesses everywhere. Duke doesn't have a lot of depth. They have their own injury with five-star A.J. Griffin. He should be good to go, but it's an example of Duke's an injury away from having a six-man rotation. Right. We're all interested to see what Hubert Davis is going to do, taking over for Roy Williams, North Carolina. Uh, Virginia's roster – uh, has top 25 potential, but I could easily see them being a top 40, top 50 bubble team if they don't get enough offense from the guards. So the ACC has a lot of interesting teams, a lot of storylines, a lot of potential. I, I think they can get six or seven bids for the NCAA tournament, but I also believe that there's a lot of opportunities for the bottom teams like Pitt to sneak a few wins off of them. That wouldn't be too shocking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I don't remember right off the top of my head. How many teams did you have in the NCAA tournament last year? Was it about four or five, uh, if, if I remember correctly? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was five for the ACC. Right. So six would be a, a pretty good number for them. I know it's a lot better than the Big East. I think they only had about four last year. So when you think of ACC, you know, in terms of their storied history, you expect six teams to make the NCAA tournament. And if, if like you said, if everything can kind of fall in Pittsburgh's way then perhaps they can kind of sneak into the bubble conversation but once the dust settles this season and and you know march and april come around when you look back on the 2021 campaign what would you say is a successful year for coach capel and this squad especially with with how young and a couple new pieces they have here i think getting at least six wins in league play uh having avoided any humiliating losses in non-conference play and seeing either uh, Femi Odekale or John Hughley get all-conference consideration and be a, a real building block. You don't have – I think the tournament postseason is probably out of the picture. But even they talk about themselves. They want to they wanna build a program and a culture that makes it easier for future years. Say that they don't want one that players are going to want to leave at the end of the year, no infighting. I think – being able to have your own roster and build it the way you want to and not have any drama inside, if you can keep that to a minimum, that's going to be really important for the future when you have guys like Judah Mintz and whichever offseason transfer class you're able to bring in as well so that you can, so that the expectations can get back to being, okay, now we're going to be an NCAA tournament team. It's not going to be about the wins and losses, more so just, being competitive and having a, a, a legit culture that you can sell to future recruits. Right. And I think you just summed it up perfectly there, you know, with, with teams that are typically in the bottom tier of any conference culture is a question, whether they can bring the recruits in, whether they're attractive enough to, to bring uh, young players in. And if you can build that culture, you know, Jeff Capel has the name that kind of goes with him. So you're like, Oh, wow, I'm playing for coach Capel. So it's, there's, there is some excitement there building. And, and I think, as you mentioned, if you can at least build that come March and April, you have a very bright future moving forward. Um, 
how about the NIT? Do you think it's doable to even at least make the NIT or, or at least if it's in the bubble conversation, would that be okay for you? I, I mean, I, I would love it, but I think with so many teams having uh, incredible rosters, thanks to the fifth year of eligibility, it, I, I just think that they're just naturally too many good teams to expect uh, one like Pitt to be able to make a close call. I, I, I don't think postseason's in the mix, but that's okay because there's going to be a lot of teams who have NCAA tournament bus aspirations who aren't going to make it there, who's going to have plenty of questions on their own to deal with. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, um, you know, this kind of wraps up our, our full uh, breakdown of Pittsburgh Panthers basketball. I, I would say just learning more from you and hearing about it, I am excited to see what these young guys can do. Uh, but, I, again, thank you so much for joining me. Now, for the people who, who don't know you yet, is there anywhere they, in particular they can find you at, or do you have any upcoming pieces or any news coming out that you know we can keep an eye out for? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at HoopsNut, uh, H-O-O-P-N-U-T-S-351 on Twitter. I do a lot of takes when it comes to pretty much all college basketball. Uh, the next upcoming week or so, I'm going to be doing talking a lot about not only Pitt, but also other local schools such as Duquesne and Robert Morris, as well as the conferences overall. So if you want to check me out on social media, but also, but mainly just uh, on Busting Brackets. Now, me and the rest of the team is going to have articles come out for the next couple of weeks where the season starts. And sorry, November, we're going to be covering actual games, including the Champions Classic and all of that. So I'm just can't wait to get these days going and being able to see the games such as pit up close. It's just an awesome time for a college basketball fan. Yeah, I feel like the offseason just took forever. Like the, the, the transfer portal was just so exciting. You saw so many great players going across the country. And then finally October started, and you can kind of get the taste of the conference previews coming out. And it just seems like November 9th is so close, but yet so far away at the same yeah. time. Uh, but I, it, please, for the fans who are watching, you know, put busting brackets, you know, put the notifications on on Twitter. They're absolutely an incredible a place to find anything college basketball and Tristan's work as well has been, has been great. I think some of your pieces have like that round table discussion with multiple writers, right? Yes. Yeah, so we, we've been having that for the past week as well. Just wanted to get as many thoughts on paper as possible for the conferences, which is, which is always fun to see what people have to think. Oh yeah. I mean, I think everybody can have an agreement about a certain team being a top level team, for example, but it's nice you know, hearing why in particular from person A, person B, person C. So I, I really enjoyed those roundtables. So I hope that continues uh, moving forward. But uh, Tristan, again, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hopefully I can bring you back on towards the end of the year to talk more Pittsburgh hoops and, and anything else you guys are covering. So uh, again, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Appreciate it. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Next week, we'll be talking uh, preview for the, the, like I said, November 9th start date. And then we'll start talking some gambling as well right before the season starts. I'll put a couple episodes as well. So thank you, everybody. Good night, and uh, see you soon.